of Let Me Tell You Something, where myself, Lorcan Mullen, and my co-host, Simon Cross, debate, discuss, dissect, and divulge our own personal feelings on the matches that Dave Meltzer has rated five stars or higher, and Simon, for the first time in a while, we're back in the or higher category. Let's hope we can keep our feelings in check, our intrapersonal relationships, and whatever faults and problems they may have on the back burner for the rest of this episode because what's the match we're covering today simon well you dick well that's not a good way to start (laughs) the match we're covering today it's a tag team match and it's between the young bucks and they're taking on the reigning AEW Tag Team Champions, Kenny Omega, who they faced before in Tag Team Action, mm-hmm. that we've covered on this list, mm-hmm. and a debutant, Adam Hangman Page, yes, finally uh, in the vault, that the, the dizzying heights. Well, not only did he get over that five-star pole vault, he pole vaulted even higher. He's like that Swedish bloke. He's uh, now, what, one of only a very small number of people to have achieved six stars or higher mental i think someone said dave Meltzer's rated seven matches at this point six stars or higher uh five of those seven involving kenny omega big match kenny's bringing it again and it's before we get into like the meat and potatoes of it, it mm-hmm. it's nice to see kenny back at the top table in a sense yeah. because was, was AEW... the, last one, the last one was wrestle kingdom wasn't it against tanahashi yeah over a year sort of tenure so far has been a bit ploddy. I think it's been a bit up and down. Yeah, I mean, uh, the Wednesday prior to this match taking place, he did have his 30-minute Ironman match with Pac, which got a lot of good reviews. Mm. Um, I think Meltzer gave that four and three quarters. Yeah, that that almost tickled, uh, tickled our ivories, tinkled our ivories, I should say. A tinkle I'm right. Yeah, Tinkle the Ivories, playing the piano. Urination. You don't tickle the Ivories, do you? You piss on not- a dead oh. elephant. You know better than the <laughs> Trump kids, Simon. Amazing. Beyond I amazing. I can't believe I'm still your tag team partner in the podcasting world. Maybe not for long. I'll mine you up with uh, a shot lariat if you're not careful. But are you? Or is it just deceptive camera? Shades of grey. Mm. We'll talk about camera work as well. But um, <laughs> oh boy! Yeah, like you say, this is the first AEW match for Kenny Omega to get five stars or higher. Um, it is the second for the Young Bucks, I believe, after the Lucha Brothers uh, Escala de la Muertes match, and obviously, like you say, first time for Hangman Page. Hangman Page, sort of the um, pet project of. The rest of the elite, essentially, almost like their uh, their Padawan, their collective Anakin Skywalker chosen one to uh, 
lead them. I mean, like when they started AEW, I I think I've said to you and several people, their goal, one of their goals, surely within two years, is that they can main event pay-per-view with an AEW world title match between Adam Page and MJF. That's what they want. And whilst MJF was doing, has been doing all the right moves so far, uh, Adam Page, on the other hand, I think was a little bit stop-start at the start of it. And he ran the risk, I thought, of being a bit too much like he was their boy. Like you would have almost the Roman Reigns, you know, John Cena, company boy, that the fans aren't necessarily behind. But... Well, he was the one one half of the first ever AEW title yeah, match, yeah, wasn't he? Yeah, which I think was, again, too early for him. Uh, uh, thankfully, I think they seem to have picked up on that. Yeah, yeah. So they which is why they didn't pull the trigger on And so I think one of the wise things they did was have him be at loggerheads with the elites. And like they've said, one of the things that I think is really good in the AEW storylines is they're leaving them enough space for them to improvise around it. That they give enough... I guess shades of grey, but without it being like a Vince Russo, that just means everyone's a dickhead sort of thing. (laughs) That it allows the crowd to dictate where they want these characters to go. So there's plenty of stuff on both sides that can make them the heel of the match. The actions of Adam Page on one side, the action of Matt Jackson on the other, and how Kenny Omega and Nick get dragged into it uh, both. Both I think the initial intention was to make Adam the dick. Well, or at least that's how it sort of they, came they, across. Yeah. Yeah, I think they thought, we've got to give him, we can't just make him the white meat baby face, so we've got to give him an edge, and maybe that will need to be him turning heel on the elite, on Kenny Omega or, or the Young Bucks. Maybe more Kenny <laughs> Omega to set up another guy that Kenny can give the rub to in the same way that they've had Cody give the rub to uh, MJF and whoever it is at time of recording that Jake the Snake's going to bring in. Uh, and, and before then, Sean Spears as well, you know? Yeah, instead... and technically Drew with Darby Allen as well. Yeah, 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 sort of. But not to a story... Like, there weren't a long storyline, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, and obviously, like you say, the, the other thing that this refers back to is the storyline between Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. And the difference being that the relationship between Omega and the Young Bucks is a bit different to that of uh, the Young Bucks and Hangman Page. Hangman Page's relationship to the rest of the elite is not so much as a peer, as a contemporary. It is like the, you know, he's like the uh, the Triple H to the click. The, the last guy to come along, and you could probably say that he was the guy that carried the bags if anyone had to carry the bags or something like <laughs> that, you know? Yeah. Like, he's the oh, youngest yeah, the of the group, and he has less, you know, he doesn't have as much of a, a CV to impress anyone yet. yet Which they sort of kind of um, allude to, well, they don't allude to, um, Matt straight up, straight up says it in the pre-match package promo. He's like, you were a mid-card in Ring of Honor when we got hold of you. Mm. What's going on but, again, it's just... there, Simon? There was some weird clicking sounds or something. Oh, sorry, I do apologise. Um... But yeah, no. Uh, uh, but the young bucks are just dicks. There's no. I don't think there's shade of, shades of grey. That young bucks are just dicks in the pre-match package. But were they dicks in reaction to Paige's behaviour? Paige was the one that started drinking in the ring, seeming to be a bit more nonchalant and saying he wanted to be separate from the elites. Yeah, he didn't want to but... tra- travel with them, and it was like almost a sign of a lack of appreciation on his part, almost like a brattiness. I don't know. I think he, 
you could uh, you could interpret it, or at least the way I've interpreted it, is um, he just he's lost that match to Jericho. He's in his early weeks of Dynamite. He was just trying to find his way. He lost the pack he, as well, didn't he? Yeah, he wants to. He, he's just trying to recalibrate. He's just trying to figure things out. And and the elite keep, keep trying to get him back in. And it's whether they're trying to do it because oh, what, one of our guys is leaving, like that that weakens us as a group, or it's because we want him to be our friend. I, I get different vibes from different other different members of the elite. I think Kenny and Cody are like, well, what are you doing, mate? Come on, just hang out with us. He's less involved at this point. He's got his own things going on. He's yeah. The, he's the one that's uh, friends with everyone at this point. In previous episodes of Dynamite, he's been very active in trying to get at Paige to celebrate with the elite at the yeah. end of shows. It's a curious thing how they paint the elite because they don't, they they are a faction and they aren't in a weird way. They're not yeah. together or, or on screen all the time like the um, inner circle are, mm. or like you'll assume the now uh, the the new Pack Lucha Brothers faction are going to be Death Triangle or the Spanish version, which sounds yeah. a lot cooler. Yeah. But I can't remember how to say it. Um, yeah, the elite are sort of like a loose collective, but you do feel yeah. like it's going to be the inner circle versus some oh, yeah, incarnation yeah, yeah. of the elite. But does Dustin Rhodes count as being a part of the elite technically, or is it more that he's just Cody's brother? So... Ah, he's Nightmare Collective. It's different. What? Not Nightmare Collective. Nightmare Family. Sorry, oh, okay. Brandy's was so Nightmare like Collective. Groups within groups, Venn diagrams, if you will. Yeah, they're like sort of NWO Wolfpack mm. uh, Nightmare Family. Because you've got QT Marshall, who's definitely not an elite yeah, member. Yeah. He's definitely not elite in any way, shape or form. Wow, he's not okay. He's, <laughs> I don't know how long, I don't know how old QT is, but there's something there you could maybe craft, maybe cultivate. Mm. I'm not writing him off, is all I'm saying. But anyway, let's get to the match itself. So we've had the build-up, it's a case of Adam Page is a mystery, how he turns out, they almost accidentally ended up being the tag team champions ahead of the Young Bucks. And obviously the Young Bucks are affronted on that side of things because they figured <laughs> who are the members of the elite that should be holding the tag belts? It's them. They're not going to go in and try and win the world title, you know, instead of Kenny or Cody or Hangman. So what are they doing? Yeah. Stepping on their territory, essentially. Well, they sort of fell into it, I think, yeah. if I remember correctly, like Omega and Hangman. They weren't, they were, they were made a team and they, they strung a couple of wins together and it just got them in the position they... They ended up in. Yeah, and I was surprised when they beat SCU so quickly. Not so quickly in like the match, but in just in terms of, I thought SCU would hold the bouts for a little bit longer, well, just to, uh, as part of the build Scorpio Sky project. But they've got their own thing. This yeah, is, and also they've got interweaves really well. AEW in terms yeah, of like well, well, links in some way. Yeah, that's what I really like, and and it's like the great period, like in two thousand WWF, when there was that writer I can't remember his name right now who had like a proper TV show, characters storyboarded out and relationships to different kinds of wrestlers. And so from there you get like Edge and Christian being mates with Kurt Angle without them being uh, quite like the elite in a weird way, without them being a regular faction doing stuff together every week. It's just when Kurt needs help, it's Edge and Christian that help him out. And occasionally even vice versa, if Edge and Christian needs help, sometimes Kurt's going to be there with them in a six man tag or what have you. And yeah. they went up the roster together. And there's dynamics always going on with Jericho. You know, they lay in the Jericho-Stephanie relationship. Or, or Kurt and Stephanie's relationship is set up like months in advance to when it finally gets paid off down the road. 
And that's what we're getting with AEW, that there are interpersonal relationships going on, that there is going to be... Uh, there's there's going to be something behind how Pac and Kenny Omega have a history that will factor in maybe a year down the line, or Pac and Adam Page, yeah. or or Chris Jericho and um, uh, Cody, or Chris Jericho and MJF, you know, like or oh, Chris Jericho and Jungle Boy. Yeah, exactly. So that's like you say, that's what's really good. It's like it's, it's an ever. I think that's also because it's such a small roster comparatively still that they kind of all will end up interacting with each other probably every six to seven months because there's yeah. only so many fresh matchups you can have. Yeah, I mean, if they get a second TV show and if they do expand, maybe things will change or it'll get harder to do what they're doing. But right now, it's working. Yeah. It, and also, with the four participants, we keep forgetting that. No, we keep like segueing away from the actual yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but but with the four participants, they have the added thing of being the elite. They have a YouTube TV show where they can interact. And there's references within it from like stuff from the years past, from from non-present members of the roster even. Uh, Because at one point, Adam Page does a little spin around chicken wings, uh, Marty Skull shout out. And well, he does the low super kick as well, which is not a mic. And similarly, at one point as well, and again, it's that suggestion of maybe he's been chatting to Marty behind everyone's back. Um, and similarly, at one point, the Young Bucks hit Kenny with the golden trigger move, the, the move that he does with Kota Ibushi, which, like you say, yeah. if, if this is a match is like a sequel to anything, it's a sequel to the Kenny Kota Young Bucks match. Yes. Similarly to that one, it's about more the emotion and like the, there are people that have love and hate intertwined to make it a more yeah. compelling story. And again, it's Matt Jackson that's the more active, vocal... I guess that's just his character, is that he's more of a hothead. He's more mouthy than Nick, who's a bit more passive. I mean, you even see it when Hangman comes out, makes his entrance, and they make the point in commentary that they're entering separately, Page and Omega. He gets yeah. right up in Matt Jackson's face, and Matt Jackson's laughing and smiling and taunting him. And then he goes to do the same to Nick, and Nick's like, relax, relax. It's like, just chill out, all right? We're all trying to be mates. Yeah. So, like, Matt will push an issue, whereas Nick would rather just let it slide. You know, you always know friends or or brothers like that, where there is one that's more mouthy and the other one that has to calm him down. Yeah. And, like, Kenny's that sort of hangman. Kenny's a little bit, a little bit. Kenny's in the coach role at this point. Yeah. Well, See, now you've made the serious wrestling reference. I was going to say he's a little bit like Mrs. Lovejoy. Well, like when people well, are arguing, won't someone please think of the children? He's just trying to like make sure everyone gets along. Well, won't somebody not, please think but, of the children? But yeah, but it's not that like he doesn't hold. It's not like he doesn't hold back in the match. Like yeah. uh, you know, he's he's ready to do the one winged angel on Matt in this match that he was a lot more reluctant to do in the previous one. It's actually his shoulder giving in that. Stops him from doing that, and when yeah. Matt ah, but that's the that, that's the shoulder that Matt targeted yeah, previously. Yeah, yeah. He's been antagonized into that. Yeah, yeah. Well, Matt's been antagonized into it as well because when Adam Page essentially does the equivalent of a low blow amongst these friends by targeting Matt Jackson's back, Kenny Omega tags in after stopping him from power bombing him on the outside, which he then later does to Nick. 
and insisting yeah. that he, and insisting that they do it in the ring. But then Omega tags in. The first move he does to Matt is a running backbreaker. So it's yeah. not like you know he wants to win this match and. When they make it personal, he gets personal back. You know, they do the golden trigger to Kenny, and Kenny kicks out at one. You know, such a good moment. He is pissed. Yeah, I'm like, oh, you don't woke the beast now. But it is funny as well that Matt thinks that he's in in Adam Page's head, and he thinks he's just gonna outwit, like, um, outthink him in the ring and, and make him lose his cool. But it's actually Page that makes Matt lose his cool first by spitting in his face. He's been watching uh, Naito tapes. Mm. Maybe Adam Page is trying to be Tranquilo or Tequilero. Sorry, that was a terrible drinking pun. Terrible drinking pun. You're going to let that steal, aren't you? <laughs> Brilliant. So what I think is really good in this match <laughs> is... Such a twat. Like I say, like I say... I went from a dick to a twat that time. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, like I say, you can you can read both men, both teams in as being the good guys. Both at various points, like in the Ibushi match, have moments where there's essentially a hot tag done after the other other team has has isolated one of the opponents and they go a house of fire. Like Nick Jackson just has this ridiculously awesome flurry of moves on on Omega and. Page, he really, truly is an incredible athlete. Like he has the athleticism to match anyone. He doesn't look that amazing, you know, in the physique department or anything. But for just agility and balance and quickness, Nick Jackson's up there with anyone. I really do think there's not many people, like not even like Ricochet or or others that are much, or Will Ospreay that are barely any better than he is. They're more flashy. Yeah, no, they're not. They're more flashy, but Nick never screws up really ever that I can see. Yeah. Well, he's just. Compo- there's a composure about him. He's got that. It's that balance. We, it's insane. Yeah. But we refer to his. Um, his like, um, level headedness yeah. from a storyline perspective at the start of the match. He's level headed as a performer. You know what I mean? Like, he's not frantic trying to get to like spots that I've ever seen. He's just like, I'm flowing smoothly from this to this to this. He's like in control of his motion. He's not over... He's not putting himself in situations which are awkward, you know, to transition from one spot to the next. And again, like I say, how Omega and Nick both are getting drawn into the more heated elements of the match so that when they start targeting Matt Jackson's back, it's clear that Nick's like, that's a step too far. You know he's got back issues. And you're he says it to Rick Knox at one point. He's like, they're targeting his back. He's got back problems. I'm like, why are you saying it to Rick? Rick's, Rick's not going to do well. <laughs> yeah. But, when he, but then when he does his flurry, at one point where he's got Kenny Omega in the headlock and he goes to do a bulldog flying clothesline combo, he's flipping Adam Page off as he's doing it. So it's like, you know, if you're going to play that game, then we'll play it back. And that's why he probably feels less guilt about doing things like yeah. like, the, like the golden trigger to Kenny, you know? Do you think but he, part but of he does fact... also, like you say, he, he pulls Matt Jackson away from Kenny when Matt does start targeting the shoulder and ripping at the tape. Yeah. And it's like he, Kenny's Great there taking the punishment that he wants to be dishing out to Adam Page, which he does later on. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great visual when he just holds the tape and he's like ripped it off. <clears throat> and when then Nick goes to like 
calm him down. He just drops the tape and his hand starts trembling. That's a beautiful visual. Do you think part of their anger towards Paige is because he's tag team champions with yeah. Kenny? Yeah, of course. It, it separates Kenny from them a bit. That as well, yeah. He's taking Kenny away from them, maybe. Because Kenny's yeah. loyalty should ultimately, as a wrestler, lie with the belt. So he's going to try and beat the Young Bucks. It, it forces them to have to wrestle against Kenny, who they probably thought they wouldn't have to, because Kenny would be in the singles division and they would be in the tag team division. Mm-hmm. But now, I mean, they reference the fact that on Dynamite, three days before, when Kenny fought Pac in the Iron Man match, the yeah. Young Bucks cornered him. Yeah. Age didn't corner him. Yeah. Little, uh, you know, little things. But also, I think throughout the match as well, you're seeing that as a tag team, for what a tag team is supposed to do, the uh, the young bucks are better. Like early on, after they both fought to a stalemate on the map, Kenny and Nick in a more traditional wrestling lucha, arm drags and all that kind of stuff, kind of way. Uh, whereas Matt and Adam are just too frantically trying to get one up on each other, and it gets to their heads, and they, you know, Paige spits in his face. Soon after that, the Young Bucks then hit a flurry of tag team, double team moves on both guys as if to show, you're in our world. This is our territory. And even though we're the challengers, you should be considered the underdogs going into this match. And it is true. Like, there are very few moments when Kenny and... uh, It's not like with the Golden Lovers, even, that Kenny has his trademark moves with Kotribushi. Essentially, all they have is a double team move that I can think of is at one point... Kenny sort of does the Hadouken push into a German suplex, which is an old Golden Lovers move, where he almost dumps Nick on his head or Matt on his head. <laughs> and then they just do the a, a combo of their both of their trademark moves, where Kenny does the V-trigger, whilst at the same time oh, Hangman's doing the Buckshot Lariat. Well, yeah, that's their like tag finisher. They've yeah. also got the You Can't Escape, where Hangman gets involved with Moonsaults yeah, as well. Yeah, that's true, actually. But that was also in a response to the More Bang For Your Buck. They're, yeah. They're, they're trying to do the More Bang For Your Buck, they can't get it. So Kenny turns it to You Can't Escape. Uh, so it's almost like they've said, well, that's their move, so what's our version of that? Well, no, no, well, no they have used that in previous matches. That is like one of the staples. Yeah, but it might be inspired. It's clearly obviously inspired by you can't possibly buy more well it's, it's yeah. exactly the same setup so there's no possibly about it you know but I'm, I'm just saying they didn't come up with it on the fly in this one they have used it like no, throughout the but thing. I'm just saying it's a more bang for your buck inspired move true so true. it's like a you can't escape into a hangman shooting star standing shooting star press into an omega moonsault it's, yeah yeah because Hangman's really got to snap it off quickly to lock, not only hit it, but then quickly yeah. get out of the way so Kenny's not, you know, looking like a dick on the second rope for too long. Yeah. Not saying he looks, you know what I mean? If he's, he's, if he's there for too long, he looks like a dick, is my point. Mm. So much not anger in this match as well, but yeah. as well as like that, just, it's weird because but there it, are so many good moves and so many well-executed yeah. moves in this nothing, match, but nothing they're so secondary to yeah. the story. Yeah. Uh, like I said, in the previous version, it almost felt they were a bit too up their own ass, uh, really playing up the the over overly loud dialogue to each other. Yeah. Like the one I always say is like the Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Undertaker, Hell in a Cell soap opera that was going on at WrestleMania Ugh. 28. Yeah. But this one, for the most part, works. One thing I did think. One thing this did appreciate, make me appreciate, though, was the New Japan camera work compared to this one. Not just because, <laughs> no 
fucking crowd cuts. <laughs> that now they are sneaking in more and more now with AEW's work, and I and, and I know that's how you feel point. about that's my point. In New Japan, they don't do it, and in yeah. AEW, they very much do do it. But they didn't at the start. It's weird. It's creeping in now. Mm. So I don't know if they've like decided that's I, where I we're going. One I texted you after like the first or second episode. And I haven't watched much saying they're doing mm. camera they're doing too many cuts to the, the crowd. The volume has the volume has increased. But also things like what do you remember whenever we used to watch in New Japan, Kenny do the corner to corner V trigger, it was one of the most brilliant visuals ever yeah. of like the distance covered and him coming into the screen. In this, it's just done from the hard camera shot with the opponent's back to the camera and, and Kenny's charging with his back to the camera as well. So you don't really see it at its most impactful and impressive. Yeah. I was surprised at that. It's definitely maybe that's something you like could use one of their mounted um, turnbuckle cams for because they do. There are well, times are quite innovative. Really work because it's it would need to like angle down, wouldn't it? I would have thought. And I, I don't know what range it's got mm. to be honest. So if the, if it's got the range, give it a pop. Give it a pop, but. I imagine maybe they've got that shot, but they just didn't cut to it. Obviously, it's it's being produced live, so we've got the benefit of hindsight and what have you here. So for you, who are the faces of this match and who are the heels? Who are you rooting for to win, essentially? Oh, uh, when I watched it uh, for the first time, Hangman. So it was Hangman you were a fan of. Isn't that fascinating yeah. as well, that it is him that's become the coolest guy maybe on the roster and the hottest guy on the roster now? Yeah. They've got what they Because wanted. he's relatable. Well, He's just I a bloke that's like trying to have a good time. There's a little bit of Stone Cold Steve Austin in him, obviously. But I think it's yeah. wise that they have him drinking from the plastic cup. In a weird way, that makes him more of the people. Because at the live events, that's all you can drink beer out of these. Yeah, events. that's and all you get. It allows him to tip other people's drinks in there as well. I don't know how hygienic that would be yeah. uh, for the next few months, but... <laughs> Oh, I didn't think of that. What What if he comes out of like the ring with a bottle of Corona? <laughs> oh, but, just, try, just doesn't go near the Lucha Bros for a while. What I think is quite clever about that as well is that he doesn't... When you look at it, it can look pretty bad, a guy just drinking out in the ring. But I would think whenever Hangman comes out, he's drinking no more than maybe a half a cup of beer in total. And if that's all you drink that yeah. night, then, you know... He's yes, not, cause you worry, what, you worry, you can paint it as almost like you could go down a Scott Hall raging alcoholic thing, which is obviously what the Matt Jackson essentially accuses him of at one point in the storyline. Um, that's a great moment when he takes um, he takes his like regular sized beer away from him, and the camera works so tight, and it's just the tall, like the the um, bust shot basically of um, Hangman, and next thing you know, he's got a picture of beer. Yeah. <laughs> Where? He was ready. He has a counter to that counter. It's a genius move. But the other guy... And that's what I like about just, like, the whole way they've booked this story. Like, not just this storyline, but the the freedom that AEW has is they accept that they are wrestling and therefore they accept that we can do some tiny, stupid things with it. But they also get that it's about characters and relationships and soap opera storylines better than Vince seems to now. Because this is a soap opera that we're watching. It's a soap opera of spurned lovers and friendships lost and rekindled and 
people may be falling into substance abuse issues, you know, and, and betrayal and everything else. That's soap opera. Um, but it's just done in a way that the crowd actually can relate to and understand. Everyone's had a friend who maybe started to move out and move away from the group for whatever reason. And you wondered what they'd done, if it was you or it was them. And you can lash out in a weird way about it, you know. Everyone can understand that. Uh, but well, I just wanted to go back to Hangman Page. Like, the other thing, obviously with Stone Cold Steve Austin, but the other character that he reminds me of a lot in his presentation is Magnum T.A., Okay. This handsome, straight shooter, man's man thing who's young and, you know, and he's got the company behind him and everything. Yeah. Sorry, I had the generational thing there. Where when you said man's man, William Regal's theme started playing instantaneously. But I could see, I mean, actually, man, can you imagine? Because weirdly, MJF's probably about the right height difference as well. Like a modern day version of the Magnum TA Tully Blanchard feud with Hangman Page. Oh, and MJF. Oh. Wow, you've already seen that MJF can bleed like a stuck yeah. pig. With Wardlow so, oh. as the perfect 10 baby doll. That's an interesting. <laughs> way of yeah, we'll have, to, we'll have to tweet that a little bit. And it is also uh, worth noting, actually, that in AEW, steel cage matches are resolved through pinfall or submission, not cage mm. escape. So. Beautiful, beautiful. Little addition that is, and that might hamstring them eventually, but yeah, they'll work it out. So the match itself, like I say, it, it goes. They they don't really put a step wrong. There's clear chapters going on. There's intra relationships. There's uh, spectacular moves. There's big moves, big kickouts, and big saves at the last minute and what have you. Uh, do they go too hard far on the big moves? Hang on, ah! Page gets hit with. Uh, a triple Northern Lights suplex on the ramp, followed by an indie taker, but he gets yeah. up. Matt and Jackson no takes some pretty. I mean, he kicks out of a buckshot lariat V trigger combo. True, which I think is the first time that's been kicked out of that I can remember. Mm. He kicks out of like a, a, a high angle pile They do a pile driver really early into the match, and that only gets a two counts. Mm. I did like but that, um, I liked Excalibur's explanation yes. of it being that I think he might have been going for a power bomb, but because of the pressure that puts on the back, he shifted it mid-move into a power driver. I also thought all three of the commentators did a great job together, sharing the workload. But Excalibur is essentially the play-by-play guy, and Shivani and Ross are going in with their observations as it goes along, both offering like, you know, veteran, long-time experience, and no one's talking over each other. They seem to be working really well together. It's a really good commentary team, and like I've said, one of my, genuinely one of my highlights of AEW has been Tony Schiavone coming back and clearly really enjoying what he's doing and what he's watching. Like, he is a fan. So good. Uh, His interactions with Dr. Britt Baker, um, his thing with the uh, best friends the other week, and the fact... He's just been so... You're right, he's had such a long leave of absence and he's just come back and he's just sliding... He's just slotting in perfectly. He's just happy to uh, be there. Yeah. Jim's... We're obviously getting winter, Jim Ross, and we have to accept that. Uh, but he's still like delivering. Like, he can still, he's still like, got the best voice of a commentator yeah. in wrestling. You know, When someone, does, a com- just, when someone does an impression of a wrestling commentator, they're probably going to do JR, you know? Yeah. And when he does sit down interviews, or uh, he did something as part of this package when he talks about the, how the young books are 
the number one tag team in the world, even though they don't have the belts. But um, just to go from a little aside, Jim Ross is perfect for adding gravitas to any situation. The match that Moxley had against Santana after Moxley had uh, done the eye for an eye and uh, jabbed Santana in the eye with his car keys, where Santana talks about his blind dad, Jim Ross just adds so much, like, gravitas and like sincerity to that interview it's a perfect foil for santana to go into like the emotional thing and even though santana was a dick and they did it first mm-hmm. you can empathize with him and it's a whole two wrongs don't make a right thing G- jim, he got Kurt, like, jim, jim ross could, is like an invaluable tool which they could build up to a great storyline in the future if pride and powerful want to break free of the inner circle and he can say you you nearly cost me my eye through your actions and then why was it yeah. me that took the brunt of that you know yeah. I wasn't the one who drove the spike in. Also, yeah. two it, other things. JR, he's like like I said, he's still got the great voice. He can he's getting the humor of AEW whilst also being able to get his gripes in. Like at one point he does say Kenny Omega's been in the ring way too long as the illegal yeah. not the legal man in the ring. And there was no tag that set it up or anything like that. So he makes his points, and like I said, like Chris Jericho also made clear in a in a backstage meeting that the tag rules need to start being respected more and, and they are for the most part except oh, for that moment in there yeah. <laughs> yeah but uh he also said um and also you know if there could be a great gig in the future as a spokesperson for dipping dots because the damn uh, dipping dots didn't do anything to anyone he and knows again, he knows they um... seem to have finally got the the orange cassidy joke they get it yeah. now so they're going with it and he he seems to have warmed up, uh, or Excalibur at least seems to be like whenever Chris Statlander's there, uh, and they're like, "So what's the deal?" Excalibur's like, "Right, I've told you this before." <laughs> it's like Excalibur the, is like the bloke millennial. Who, okay, yeah, boomer. <laughs> he's been sent to his granddad's house to like yeah. uh, connect the Wi-Fi to the printer. Mm. It's like oh, I wrote this down for you. Yeah, why am I here again? Uh, yeah, so I do want to jump to um because you did mention it into in like the the big moves that we've listed and the smattering of whether or not there's big moves great sell almost red shoes-esque sell of a kick out from rick knox i didn't notice that but i'll take your word for it it's when the bookshot lariat um v trigger combo is kicked out of and it just pat uh, you don't notice it the first time you see it uh, i only noticed it the second time round. Rick Knox has just um, got his hands on his like um, face, sort of like that shocked uh, Dr. Britt Breaker reaction that was like a meme for like a hot minute a month ago. And he holds it for a really long time. He's like, what am I seeing? And it's a great way of a ref doing his job but not stealing focus. Well, like the, the fact that I didn't notice it is a sign. Yeah. So it's just a little thing that if you notice it, you can enjoy it, but you don't need to. Uh, I also exactly. want to say that I think uh, Shivani and and JR in particular are really impressed with the moves that all these guys can do. Like there's a moment when Omega hats, hits a flurry on Matt uh, Nick Jackson hits him with a couple of snapdragon suplexes and everything. And you can tell that JR's just like, my God, these guys are good. At what they're yeah. doing. Um, and yeah. And, and Nick Jackson as well. You can tell that JR and, and Shivani think Nick Jackson's incredible. Yeah, he's um, rope work with the arm ringers. There's only one man I've seen do that kind of like uh, rope work on the top, and that's Ray Phoenix. Mm. Like he's that 
level of yeah, like can just bounce. Watch, yeah, I need to watch the singles match those two had at some point. Uh, oh, I know a lot should. of people love that. Um, I love- so I think we're getting towards the end, where it's ultimately, like I said, the Young Bucks have been the better team throughout it all, but Paige and Omega, because they're such great, they're probably better singles wrestlers. So then it's a case of does the better in ring wrestlers on the singles front outdo the you know do the superstar tag it's a great example of a superstar tag team against a legit tag team you know like yeah like sting and scott steiner like sting and lex luger against the steiner brothers or stone cold steve austin the undertaker against the new age outlaws or yeah or or things like that well it's Um, it's that and despite all the escalation throughout the match um they they have Page and Omega have the most professional acting participant in Kenny. Yeah, yeah. Even though Kenny, and, and does, Kenny get, like, does get aggravated and does boil over. And Kenny is maybe the best wrestler in the world at this point. He's had a few losses in his time. Also, by the way, win-loss records. You see, this was why I was saying it's a problem. Because going in, you're seeing all these guys and they're saying how great they are. And you see their win-loss records. And it's like 16-7 and 7-5. And it's like, in the UFC... The guy who's 16-7 against the guy who's 7-5 is not the main event match, you know? Yeah. That's why no, I think I... this whole win-loss thing as a proper statistic is a mistake. I think they should emphasize more winning streaks and well, year, they do. year achievements. But they're still keeping these win. I don't think the win-loss thing helps anyone. Yeah. I think the, best, the, the thing that they're focusing on now, and I think what the, the best thing they've got going in terms of like presentation as a guy comes to the ring is that line of text they've got at the oh, top yeah 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 and they, they can do serious they can do um yeah that's that's good pat like had that. a great one the other week it's like record against best friends is free and oh that's and good. he explained that uh, like oh little... in this scenario yeah. this is the statistic for that bring up the statistics when it helps the wrestler Seeing the yeah. Young Bucks come out as the challengers and seeing that they've got a record of seven and five doesn't do them any favours. Well, you're saying these but are also, the, you know. Yeah, and also they have fun with it. One of my favourite ones is the episode after uh, Hangman Page gets into an argument with Private Party and they say, well, that drink you took from us is $12. And next week, as <laughs> Hangman walks to the ring, the the blurb at the top is not going to pay private party that twelve dollars. Well, that's just like that's just the brilliance of the Matt facts, I suppose, that introduced that as a concept with the yeah. Matt Hardy version one. I think Matt like, never dislikes. Matt strongly dislikes mustard. Yeah. But then, but then when it was when he was being a thorn in the Undertaker's side, it was like Matt undefeated against the Undertaker or something, or two consecutive victories over the Undertaker. So I'm fine with that, and like like you say, when Hangman Page came out on the on the dynamite after this one to save the inner circle, the the the, the heading for him at that time was whoop both their asses. Yeah, you know, and he does do that. It is Hangman Page that wins it for the young for him and Omega because he hits the buckshot lariat on Nick on the ramp, and then hits the buckshot lariat on Matt in the ring, and that gives him enough time. And it should be. Page and Matt that decided the fall in this really, and it and it gets yeah. him the win. Um, what do you think of the buckshot lariat as a finisher? I like it. Um, I do think he needs another one. Yeah, it's one of those situations it's, it's, where it's a, big, it's a, a great long finisher. Setup. Yeah, 
well, I, I, the chicken wing's a shout-out. He's not, not going to incorporate yeah. the chicken wing for long, depending on what happens with Marty and whatever he's doing. Um, but either way, I don't think he'll use Marty's finisher extensively. He, I, I do think he needs a second. Uh, not an impact one percent. I'd like to see him develop a submission hold. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, like I said, my opinion is any wrestler worth their salt in a, in a major promotion should have a pinning finisher and a submission finisher. That's what yeah. I personally think. Every wrestler, as close as that is to being feasible, should have that. Um, mm-hmm. I guess it could be a very... You know these days, that, I don't know, a, I'm just disc, a, a discus lariat or something like that. Yeah, he does use a lot of discus, though. That's one of his like more signatory moves, if we're like, tearing them. Well, um, he, is, he is Austin. Maybe maybe some version of the stunner could be a way of doing it. Something stun gun, do, something like rope base. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. Well, already the got stun rope gun base. can be perfect in a way, because it means he's close to the ropes. Stun guns them on the ropes, then he can roll to the outside when they get up. Buckshot Lariat. Ah. It's it's not a flash finish, though. That's the thing. You sometimes kind of need that flash finish out of nowhere. Which is why um, Jericho, I think, developed the Judas effect, because he can flash that as a finisher. Mm. And I think he recognised that you need a flash finisher, because the Codebreaker, sort of, but he's an old man. (laughs) Bless him. Um, So... Yeah, so he hits the, the buckshot Larris on both guys, and that's it for the pin. So like I said, Meltzer gave this one six stars. And I just ah, bring... just before we go to the star rating, I do want to talk about that little expert bit of camera work in the, the post-match bit, oh, where the camera bit. is behind uh, Paige, and Paige just drops the title belt, puts both hands on the rope, and all the crowd are going, oh, and yeah. he turns around and kept... And he just gets in the ring and like hugs Kenny. It's like well, no, he, he beckons Kenny over to hug him, uh-huh. and and the young bucks go for the handshake, and and um, Paige doesn't accept it, and the you know the original elite of Omega and 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 the young bucks are all together. So Hangman feels like an outsider. Did he always feel that way? And that's why he's leaving the elite because he thinks I'll yeah. never be a part of that. I need to make. I'm not at the top thing. table. Yeah. yeah. And so, like I said, it's it's leaving it open. But also, is it also the young bucks have chatted shit about him, and they and he maybe doesn't trust them. Maybe they are, you know, at some point they're going to think, why the hell have we not held these tag belts yet? And it's a completely yeah. logical reason for them to turn heel. You know, we did our fantasy booking situation. I explained to you how yeah. I would have the young bucks win the belts eventually. But yeah. um, I just want to bring this up with Dave Meltzer because obviously, like I say, he gave this one six stars. And this was what he wrote on the more recent AEW, uh, the, the most recent newsletter about that. After yeah. the Young Bucks versus Kenny Omega and Adam Page match on the second on the February 29th AEW Revolution show, the immediate reaction was that it was one of the greatest, if not the greatest, tag team match of all time. Jim Ross called it the greatest tag match. He could remember broadcasting, and Shivani, Tony Shivani said it was the greatest tag team match he'd ever seen. Then again, given they are AEW announcers, you have to temper that. Still, my reaction when it was over, that it was the best tag team match ever in the US, and the only stuff that could be com- comparable was early 90s All Japan stuff in the Mitsuhara Masawa Kentaka oh. and Akira Tawe days, and the All Japan women stuff in the Manami Toyota and Toshio Yamada days. 
Yeah. So this past week, I watched in a row. God, good Lord, Meltzer, the, the hour. What does your wife think about this? So this past week, I watched in a row Masawa and Kabashi versus Kawada and Tawei. Midnight Express versus Fantastics, which I always consider the best American tag team match I ever saw. A match from Chattanooga where the Fantastics won the US tag team titles. And Young Bucks versus Omega and Page for the third time in four days. <laughs> Pardon the pun, but those were three fantastic matches and completely different. Different times, different places and different audiences. The key is that the first two matches, if you transported them to 2020, deck place and could bring the audience with them, they are still... Five-star matches. Midnight Express versus Fantastics was long. Essentially, he's saying that's a five-star match in hindsight. So, I don't know if people are going to say, like, with the Naito Okada match, respectively, we've got to add this one to it. Well, at the very least, we'll, maybe, it'll be a match of the week we'll have to talk about. Yeah. Uh, Midnight Express versus Fantastics was long, but without a slow movement, a slow moment, and everything they did made sense in building the match. It was a different style, but a style that would hold up today. It also had nearly as good storytelling as the AEW match this past week and had the best finish of the three bouts. Bobby Eaton put in today's wrestling scene would still be one of the best in the world and Tommy Rogers, even with his lack of natural charisma, would be a far bigger star today because he wouldn't have the size stigma against him. The other thing that was clear to me is that there is so much today's wrestlers could learn from studying Eaton's work, pace, moves and selling and Rogers' work, including his flying head scissors moves, that would be new and unique in today's environment that overuses the Mexican Hurricane Ranas. It's doing the same thing with a new twist that somebody could make their own as opposed to being part of the routine that everybody does. The Fantastics, by today's standard, would still be an elite team. Both Rogers and Bobby Fulton were far better than I remembered them being. And for those who talk of the Midnight Express as one of the greatest tag teams of all time, even today you can see they deserve that praise. It was also the safest of the three bouts. And while the heat in all three were different, the match had the most heat as well, but that was more because of the difference in the type of audiences. Since the match had heat before it started and they never had to build it, since it was always there. So I think also part of this might be a little bit of an olive branch reach out to Jim Cornette, given what happened <laughs> between those two. And also some people accused him of shitting on Bobby Eaton, uh, which is ridiculous. The Japanese match was also long. It was the most physical and most dangerous of the three with the frequent head drops. While there were a t- lot of spectacular moves in the AEW match, I only cringed once, which was that toss of Matt Jackson into the German suplex oh. when he came close to landing on his head that could have easily bit that could have easily been a Hiromu Takahashi moment. The one thing about today, what's going on down your end there, Simon? I'm not going to edit, so. <laughs> The one thing about today, and I see this in AEW more than I'd like, is there are too many near misses. Because if you keep having near misses, one day something will go very wrong. Still in all Japan, there were multiple head-dropping suplexes that made it the most dangerous. And long term, the reality is Misawa was shot later in his career and died from neck injuries, while Kabashi had to retire early, more due to his knees than his neck, and Tawe and Kwada are not in Omega suffered a broken little finger in the match. He'll have a cast put on, but probably won't be out of action long, if at all. In the other match, Eaton has had many physical problems and severe health issues. Rogers developed bad painkiller issues and died young. Fulton still wrestled until he was near 60, and is battling cancer that will most likely be unrelated to the ring. And Stan Lane, at last words, seemed fine. Um, So Japan was like watching a major sporting event... Uh, the 80s was a very different crowd 
Japan was clearly the more sports-like of the three. It almost looked like a real fight. The hitting was harder. The selling lacked any of the corniness <laughs> and exaggeration of the NWA Southern style. That's mainly because Kawada gets... is kicking you. <laughs> yeah. You don't do a goofy sell when someone kicks you like that. Yeah. This felt like great athletes battling for a legitimate championship. No, the crowd didn't think it was real either, but it was the easiest of the three to allow yourself to believe. Also, Misawa Kawada and Kabashi even today are three of the greatest ever to do this. Tawei is good as well. He's not an all-time great, but he was in the ring with all with three all-time greats. And he Poor Tawei! He enhances, not detracts from the overall match. Make you, you made Tawei sound like the Andy Murray of the current tennis scene. Ah, he's also <laughs> As for Saturday's match, watching it after the other two, it was clearly the best match of the three for a 2020 crowd. While both of those matches would still be among the best, Midnight Fantastics would be the fourth best match I've seen this year. Better than Sabre Osprey in London, but well below Okada Ibushi and Osprey Hiromu Takahashi. The All Japan Tag Match would be about the same. Saturdays would be first or second. It had the best storytelling, but it was not that far ahead of Midnight's and Fantastics in that realm, but did beat the All Japan match handily. It was the most spectacular of the three easily. It did not have the sports feel of the Japan match, but it had a very different and more respectful and smarter audience than the NWA match. In many ways, it was the most healthy atmosphere because while the guys were going too far with the risks, without a doubt, the audience appreciated them for what they were doing. There was no con involved. There was no attempt to pull the wool over the eyes of the audience or pretend, which you can't do in a modern world. Mm. Much of this is like a, a letter to Cornets. <laughs> there was no guy along for the road like along for the ride like Tawei or Stan Lane, who both brought something to their matches but were clearly the least talented of the four. Part of that is that the person who would be thought ahead of time as the guy on the, that spot in this week's tag match page was the key player in the key story. Yeah. The story of the match is that in the end, Page was to outshine the other three by design and win strongly at the end. But this match not only had more stories and more layers, but also far more depth to the storytelling. Uh, it was close to perfect for their audience. All, all were close to perfect for their audience. All would transport into different eras and be among the best matches of the year. Nobody had an edge in pacing and none of the three bouts, all over 30 minutes, had a second of downtime or ever dragged or felt too long. All actually left much shorter than they really were. Feeling much shorter than they really were. In the end, this week's match was the best, but saying any of the three weren't among the best tagged matches of all time seems ludicrous to me. Anyway, I'm not giving this five stars. joking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. I do give this one five stars, but I would personally not put it above the Kawada, Tawe, uh, Masawa, Kabashi match that we have in our definitive five. Um, I don't think it will be in my top ten either. I'm just going to bring that back up because I think that might be a discussion we'll have for this one that we haven't for any of the other ones. Mm. Uh... Simon. I am giving it five stars because I love it. I I, I really, really love this match. Um, Why don't you marry it then? I would if I could. (laughs) When I try and show people who don't know wrestling, wrestling, and they go, oh, it's all that WWE stuff. As I've said time and time again, um, our regular listeners will know, one of the projects, one of the things I'm most grateful for is it has broadened my horizons massively. You're welcome. That's all right. This is one of the. Um, <laughs> this is a match I would happily show to someone who hasn't watched much wrestling and go, look how good wrestling could be. 
But what I would also suggest that you do is also show them the pre-match video package that they made in the style of the UFC. Yes. Boxing HBO. Because I thought that was fantastic, those things. Mm. And just giving people the basics of the storyline and then they can get into the match itself. And then, obviously, you'll need to explain a bit further with things like... um, uh, with things like uh, the, the, the golden wing. trigger um, and things yeah. like and the chicken wing, but I'm just looking. So I'm looking at your. So it's not going to make my top ten, which also means I don't put it above the Kabashi Kikuchi Furnace Crawford match either, which is my other tag team match to be on my top ten list. Now I don't want to get accused of recency bias, but well, you don't have any tag team matches in your top ten anymore. And do I not? No, you you but you. If you want to avoid having recency bias, then maybe you should have had, you know, fewer than nine matches in your top ten that were from 2016 at the earliest. That was Akada Omega. You can't blame me for that. Um, well, not all of them were Akada Omega. Yeah. All right, I'm going to go through. I'm going to go for your number ten and see if you would replace your number ten, your current number ten, with this Omega Page. I remember what that and, is. Uh, uh, Young Bucks match. At uh, number ten was. Kazuchika Okada against Kenny Omega in the seven-star match. Ten. The two out of three falls match at Dominion. That was your number ten. I don't have an immediate answer to that question. I'd have to actually think about it and probably re-watch the Kenny Omega uh, Okada match again. Just look. I'm just going to re-remind you of your top ten and see if you might be thinking twice about some of the ones that you got in there. Again, like we say with the recency bias. So, your 10's Okada Omega Dominion, 2 out of 3 falls. Your 9 is Okada, Okada Tanahashi G1 Climax 2018, 30-minute mm. time mm. limit. Then it's Tanahashi Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, the one where Okada finally won. Then you have Ibushi J. White in last year's G1 Climax final. Loved it. Then you got Johnny Gargano against Adam Cole, the uh, WrestleMania takeover match. Yeah. So, the 2 out of 3 falls one. Then you've got David Starr against Jordan Devlin at OTT. Yep. At number five. Number four, you've got Okada Omega, the Dominion 60-minute time limit match. Then you've got Okada Omega, the first match, the Wrestle Kingdom match. Mm. Then you've got Johnny Gargano against Tommaso Ciampa, the unsanctioned match Mm. of the NXT TakeOver before WrestleMania, which, you know, obviously there's going to be allusions to that in the... (laughs) And your number one is Masawa Kawada. Yeah. 3rd of June, 94. <sighs> Do any of those sound like they could be replaced by this match? Quite possibly. Come on, man. It's March 2020. You've got to be including a match from this decade in your list by now. Yeah. Uh, quite possibly. Uh, I don't want to give them any out purely because I, I, I don't... Shall we save it then if we remember for the next episode, whenever that may be? Well, it might be sooner than we think. If uh... I don't know. Obviously, New Japan have had to shut the doors for a few weeks. Yeah, oh god, I hope their G1's okay. See, basically, the only match that I can see... Well, that'll be October, so you'd hope that the worst is done mm. by then. Um, I can see a five-star match or two at the NXT TakeOvers. Yeah, well, there's, see them happening has a lot of pressure going into it pre-match, obviously, and that being Ciampa Kagano. Uh, I don't know. The maybe, card. maybe, maybe, maybe Rhea Ripley against Charlotte Flair if they go all out at WrestleMania, if they're given the chance to. Potentially, um... but we'll have to cross that bridge when we come to it. 
Hey, hey. There's a callback, an old an old star reference. If someone's listening to this for the first time with their friend who says, I don't usually listen to podcasts about wrestling. <laughs> they say, oh, well, this is the thing where you need to know the deep lore. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So that also means that because I'm not putting in my top 10, although I didn't put David Starr, Jordan Devlin in my top 10, and that's in the overall five, we'll have to, like I said, we'll have to discuss. Oh, they'll have to be really As it stands right now, Misawa Kabashi, Kawada Tawe is the only tag team match in uh, the overall top five, although that's not in your top 10. Mm-hmm. God, you're such a Gen Zer. <laughs> Nothing good happened before 2015. I won't go that far. Well, you seem to be with your bloody lips. What's my number one? Yeah, there's, there's always an exception that proves the rule. Pretty bloody like, big exception. But anyway, if people want to get in touch with you and inform you about how things used to be, and you can just say "Okay, Boomer" to them, how can they? Well, I can't them? imagine many of them have this medium. Uh, but they can find me on Twitter, where I'm known as Simon Cross Free. Uh, free for the number of times these uh, people ask me to set up their Wi-Fi. Mm. My name's Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for alcohol and N for no joke. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you want to give me an email, then put it at gmail.com at the end of it. Uh, if you want to get in touch with the show, it's bowwobpod at wow, gmail.com. And bowwobpod is our Twitter handles. About to correct me, can maybe keep his eye on his social media game before he th- starts throwing stones at my glasses. <laughs> Right. I'm sure Bob is a very good podcast, but it's not the one we're doing now, is it? It's LMTYS. I apologise. LMTYSpod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter handle and Facebook and Instagram and all that stuff. Well, not Instagram. I wouldn't trust you with an Instagram. I don't want to know what's on my camera roll. Oh, I do, though. That's <laughs> But anyway, as I start to prepare that intervention, there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a sick star time. Until the next time. So silly smart, doggy dog, something holds a blind. But as for me, if I have my way, I would live some other time. The prairie and past the king. I'd like to eat it too. But being born now was my mistake. I've passed the bar.